I'm Ian McLean, founder of Flow Group and Greenline Conversations. This podcast has grown out of the chaos that's been thrust upon us, and in it, I share the best of 25 years of helping leaders in business organizations deal and cope with change. So, as you're out there, busy making sense of it all, trying to cope, and repurposing your organizations, I'm hoping that some of this will provide some help, some of the time. I'll keep it deliberately short, because I know you're busy. Let's dive in. I recently attended a screening of a documentary on the life of famous Irish artist Patrick Scott at Kilwatery House, and it got me to thinking about leadership as a craft or as an art in itself. All the leaders I've ever known could be plotted along a longer continuum that runs from a technical expert on one end, finance, technology, etc., all the way to an artist at the other. Unsurprisingly, at either extreme of the continuum, you get what is pretty feckless leadership. One is too tied up in technical specifics, whilst the other is too detached from current reality. Either way, they both suffer the terminal impact of leaders, that of losing the dressing room. This experience tallies somewhat with the 2017 New York Times experiment which ran an algorithm to discover what occupation from, believe it or not, 974 listed at the federal U.S. government's Labour Department was most directly opposite to another in terms of skill set. The way it works is you punch in your profession and it calculates the job that is most diametrically opposite. By this method, the extreme other pole of an artist when you enter the word artist, is physicist. No surprise. With the advance of technology and finance in particular in recent decades, the values associated with the physicist, things like process, precision, metrics, have been promoted in industry, in leadership across the board, at the expense of the more esoteric attributes of the artist, things like holistic, connective, intuitive, you only have to look at CEO vacancies and how often the CEO vacancy is filled by either the CFO or the CTO as opposed to the CPO. So in spite of flavours, fads and short-term biases of the time, who, who overall and over time makes the best leader? One popular but misleading fallacy on this is that the measure of good leadership is simply results. However, I have come across many very talented leaders that have been undone by what Macmillan describes as events, my dear boy, events. And equally, on the other side, some very mediocre leaders who have just simply been the beneficiaries of circumstantial good fortune. As J.D. Rockefeller once replied when he was asked by an interviewer about his recipe for success, you need three things. Go to bed early, get up early, and strike oil. Many leaders are guilty of misattribution. 
taking personal credit for their victories in benign conditions, whilst blaming external forces for their failures in the storm. Equally, leaders that adopt a cutthroat, win-at-all-costs approach to achieve results only ever succeed in creating a toxic, dysfunctional culture that gains on the numbers but loses on the people. Jack Welch, as an outstanding example, was loved by Wall Street and at the time dubbed Manager of the Century by Fortune magazine. Sure, he oversaw business growth, fabulous business growth, and created shareholder value at the time. But he promoted an egocentric, fear-based survivor culture that, along with the Rankin-Yag firing policy, ultimately ran GE into the ground. Over the years, I've witnessed countless mini-Welshes who generated short-term profits with long-term consequences. In a world today of triple bottom line, people profit planet, that's no longer cool. Any leader can get right place, right time lucky. Any leader can gain the system for short-term results. In a system that is geared, by the way, for short-term results, quarterly reporting, PE, equity and earnouts. But the leaders I've encountered, the best leaders I've encountered, have all been artists, or at least had an artistic sensibility. I'm not talking about art in the dressed-up, self-promotional sense, as in Donald Trump's book, The Art of the Deal. So let me elaborate. By artist, I mean that the best leaders I've encountered have in common a desire to create something beautiful. The opposite of what this means is a CEO I met for the first time last week, who, in answer to my question, what are you trying to achieve, replied that his mission was, in quotes, to double the company revenue in the next two years. Whilst there's nothing inherently wrong with the ambition, when that represents the leader's whole mission, then what it lacks is the capacity to inspire others. And inspiring others is the very raison d'etre of leadership. It doesn't inspire mostly because it lacks beauty, not to mention he was dull. Compare this with JFK's ambition to put a man on the moon. Or Steve Jobs' desire to put a thousand songs in your pocket with the iPod. And you start to get close to what it means to be a leader as an artist trying to create something of beauty. In the present, I'm currently working with a pharma tech CEO, bent on upskilling hundreds of thousands in the developing world so that they can get jobs and rise out of poverty. People love working for the company, not because it pays better, or has free food or funky games rooms, but because they can connect to the cause. The CEO, in this case, treats the company as a canvas and invites everybody along to paint. There's been so much produced lately in self-help literature on techniques for charismatic or authentic leadership that totally misses the point in the guise of how to this or 10 tips that. Charisma and 
authenticity can't be stage-managed or techniqued. Authenticity and charisma, you can't act it. They're not something you act. They're something you do. They're a consequence of how you are, a consequence of someone's commitment to a virtuous purpose that is greater than just shareholder value. This is what is actually at the heart of the magnetism that people so strive for when they're looking for authenticity and charisma. But this magnetism, or this, this is the magnetism that wins the hearts and generates followership. And I don't mean just the Instagram type of followership. And so, back to the documentary on artist Patrick Scott. One contributor, the poet Seamus Heaney, in this instance, described the artist's craft as a thing of beauty. Scott was able to create beauty through his art and connected to three primary characteristics of beauty defined by the medieval philosopher as radiance, integrity, and consonance. In the documentary, Heaney was able to apply Aquinas's three beauty principles to Scott's actual art. But the characteristics of radiance, integrity, and consonance are just as applicable to life, nature, relationships, and enterprise. The best leaders I've found each have an artistic sensibility about their work. Whether they're leading a team of software engineers, running a hotel, managing a fund, or leading a sales team. Artistic leaders are distinctive in that they think about their work differently to others and view it through a different lens. They ask, although they'll have their own language for it, whether their work is fulfilling the Aquinas beauty principles. Take radiance. The question might go something like, does it give joy and invite connection? Integrity. Does what we're trying to create possess all the component parts to make it complete or whole? And in the case of consonance, does what we're striving for and do all the parts in it resonate with one another? Jobs and JFK certainly had it in mind. Imagine you, as the leader, asking those three questions about the work that you do, with your customer in mind. At the very minimum, striving towards fulfilling them serves certainly to improve quality and also inspires more discretionary effort and innovation in your people. The elite Houston architecture firm Stellamaris has gone so far as to declare the three beauty qualities as the ideal to which this practice aspires and provides examples on their website manifesto of how each might apply in the creation of an example military academy. Finally, to return to the most diametrically opposed careers we mentioned earlier, of artist and physicist, they have far more in common than you might think. Both professions rate originality as one of their most valued skills, for example. The South Korean artist Jung Chul Kim 
who spent time as an artist in residence in the CERN Nuclear Research Facility in Geneva, backs this up by observing that creativity and imagination are the most important factors for both physicists and artists. They're not standing on opposite sides, but looking at the same world in different ways. Perhaps the 20th century daddy of them all, Albert Einstein, was onto something with his profession that imagination is more important than knowledge. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, stay connected. If you enjoy the podcast and you'd like to learn more about how we can help you as a leader or your organization, just simply connect with me on LinkedIn and I'll take it from there.